Welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. Welcome to another episode of Turn the Page, the official podcast of Syosset Public Library. Uh, I'm here today with a brilliant new author whose book I just finished, uh, and it absolutely wrecked me. So let's <laughs> let's talk about it. Uh, could I ask you to introduce yourself and your book, please? Hi, I'm Eleanor Shearer, and I'm a mixed race writer from the UK. Uh, my debut novel is called River Sing Me Home. It's set just after the abolition of slavery in the Caribbean, and it's all about a woman, Rachel, who's searching for her stolen children. It's so lovely, and it's it's so impactful as a read, just emotionally. It hits so beautifully. And before we get more into it, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your journey toward this book, because in addition to your writing, you've had a really interesting career uh, in terms of what you've researched and the places you've worked and things like that. So could you tell us a little bit about that and how it led you to uh, this novel? Yeah, absolutely. So the seeds of this novel, and also in a way, the seeds of what I ended up doing in terms of my academic career were planted when I was a teenager. And I went to this exhibition called Making Freedom. And it was put on by this charity in the UK called the Windrush Foundation, um, which does a lot of work around Caribbean heritage and Caribbean history in the UK. And the point of the exhibition was that in the UK, we often learn about the abolition of slavery as something that was done by these benevolent white people. But that doesn't do justice to the agency of enslaved people in the Caribbean who were resisting slavery in ways large and small from revolutions like the Haitian Revolution all the way to everyday acts of resistance. And it was part of this exhibition. Uh, they had this little panel that said, and after emancipation, lots of women put down their tools, left their plantations and tried to find their children. And that just really stuck with me as an example of uh, resistance to slavery, because so much about slavery was trying to destroy family life. It was trying to deny you a right to your partner, your children, to connect with your ancestors. You know, people would be given new Christian names rather than being able to keep the names that they had back in Africa. And so I just thought this was the ultimate sort of um, example of uh, bravery, uh, these women who went looking for their children. So that's uh, stuck with me. But in a broader sense, the exhibition also got me interested in um, the way that we think about slavery here in the UK and how it's different from how slavery is remembered in the Caribbean. So I then went on to university and I ended up doing a master's degree in politics where I was looking at the legacy of slavery in the Caribbean and the case for reparations. Mm -hmm. And it was part of that that I ended up doing this fieldwork in the Caribbean that I didn't realise at the time, but would end up being really helpful for the for the novel. So my uh, grandparents came to the UK from the Caribbean. They were born in Barbados and St Lucia. So that's where I've got family. So I visited those islands and I was talking to family members. I was talking to activists. I was talking to historians about how they think about slavery now if they think it still has an effect on the islands and what they think about reparations and a lot of those conversations really helped ground my understanding of what slavery was the marks that it left on people the effect on family life in particular that continues to have echoes through the Caribbean today and it was only after I finished that master's and then um, was thinking I might want to write this novel idea that had been kicking around for 10 years I thought um 
you know, one of the things that held me back from writing this novel was the thought that there was so much research that needed to go into it. And I suddenly realised, hang on, I've, I've, I've done most of the research now because of this master's. So it ended up being incredibly useful for um, the, the novel that I then went on to write. That's so interesting. And I really love that because I um, I trained as a historian too in my work before I became a library person. And I'm really interested in how kind of history and fiction work together, you know, because like the fiction can let you um, fill the gaps, you know, that like the historical record has kind of left for us. But at the same time, I think that like um, the fiction can also help us to understand the history better too, by like letting you empathize, you know, and see inside the heads of the people going through these things. Like, so was that something that was kind of driving um, like the perspective that you took when you wrote this too, or? Yes, absolutely. And also, um, you know, this novel and I hope future novels, I'm very interested in, in Caribbean history and little known parts of history. And a large part of it is also about who gets to leave historical records behind. You know, although we we have some information, a lot of it oral history passed down about the women who went looking for their children. It's not like you can go and, and look up any written records that they left behind. So that's where, again, fiction really does come in as a chance to imagine the as you say, imagine into the gaps that are left in the historical records. And um, another thing as well that was important to me about this book as a historian and um, given the work that I was doing, which was very sort of testimony focused, going to the Caribbean and getting people's perspectives on slavery, I really wanted the book to have an oral history feel to it. And um, it's very much the story of this one woman, Rachel, but also along her journey, she comes into contact with so many characters who may only be around for a page or two, but all of them have this opportunity to tell a little snippet of their story. And I wanted to have that room on the page for all sorts of people in the Caribbean, be they black, be they indigenous, to share a story that you might not otherwise come across in the history books. Mm. Yeah, that is so interesting to me. And it links up to, I think, something... um, that you uh, wrote or said somewhere else about this book being an act of deep witnessing. And that like really um, stuck with me because I think it allowed me to sort of see history, the practice of history as not just like an academic practice that we do because, but something that is itself can be like an act of reclamation or resistance or of like, you know, reclaiming identity and collective experience and I just think that's all like a really lovely way to approach historical fiction yeah I know I really appreciate that and it was something that again sprung from my work because something I was interested in is what I would call the, the memory gap so the fact that um the way that slavery is remembered in the Caribbean is so different to the UK and I'm aware I'm about to to bring a kind of um visual something into a, an oral medium on a podcast but I would encourage listeners to go and have a look at these images because um one of the things that I think is so indicative is one of the most famous images of emancipation in the UK was um white abolitionists produced this piece of propaganda and it's um by a very famous artist called Josiah Wedgwood and it's a black man kneeling and he's uh, got manacles around his wrists and he's saying am I not a man and a brother so the idea is appealing to common humanity but it's a, a, an enslaved black person having to ask for the mercy of white people. Whereas one of the images of emancipation in the Caribbean that I absolutely love in Barbados, uh, they have a statue, the emancipation statue, 
and it's nicknamed Busser after a slave that led a rebellion in Barbados in 1816. And this is a, a black man who's standing tall, his fists are raised to the sky and he has chains on his wrists, but he's breaking them. And that idea that in the Caribbean, people remember so strongly acts of resistance, acts of rebellion and the role that enslaved people played in freeing themselves. Whereas in the UK, we remember the William Wilberforces, we remember the white people that um, were at the centre of the abolition movement over here. And that sense of a, needing to close that gap, I really think, you know, um, reparations is obviously a, a broad, thorny, controversial topic. But I think as small an act as understanding the way that history is remembered and changing the way that you remember it yourself is a form of reparations it's a form of literally repair of healing what has happened because I think it is a kind of disrespect to the memory of Caribbean people to not be fully aware of all of the resistance that was going on and all of the ways that people made a kind of freedom for themselves outside of slavery. A hundred percent because yeah I guess like that grand narrative from the you know perspective of of empire is like you know, yes, we bestowed this upon these people who were just waiting around for us mm. to, do, you know, and that erases so much um, agency in like actual historical actors, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm really curious about, you know, how this history um, affects the story that you tell, because the novel starts with the Emancipation Act that you've mentioned and how it is a sort of, uh uh, imagined end to slavery, but it really is so much more complicated than that. And I'm mm-hmm. wondering if you could talk a little bit about like how that plays into, you know, one of your main themes, which is just like the many forms that freedom can take and the many forms that the lack of freedom can take. It's like a very wide, complicated spectrum. Could you talk a little bit about your approach to that? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I very much wanted to set the book in 1834, when, as you mentioned, the Emancipation Act had come into force um, in the British Caribbean. But uh, the law stated that uh, slaves had to continue to work for six years without pay for their former masters. So um, it was a very hollow kind of freedom and itself uh, instigated a whole wave of resistance. And the apprenticeship system, it was called, ended up um ending early because of that resistance but um as you say because i was so interested in this novel to explore what it means to be free being in that ambiguous moment where by law you are no longer a slave but what does freedom practically mean if all you can do is continue to work on your former plantation and you're not even allowed any any pay um i knew that that was a the ideal moment to explore that kind of um complexity and ambiguity around freedom and also uh, to make my protagonist Rachel's choice a little bit more stark because again it's very deliberate that the novel starts with her leaving her plantation and I um, am hugely respectful of art that is about slavery and about the full horrors of slavery Uh, for me that would have been a very traumatic thing to write so I wanted this to be a book about what comes after slavery and uh, yeah, the kind of life that you can fashion for yourself, not at all in ideal conditions, you know, at, at no point in the novel is, is Rachel coming into huge amounts of wealth, huge amounts of freedom to move about in, in the world in the way that the most privileged people of her time would have been able to. But I still think she does find freedom in the novel um, because it is possible to do that even in conditions of of suffering and hardship. Mm. 
Yeah. And that is, I think, so essential to Rachel's journey. And I would love to talk more about her. I have a couple of questions about her. Um, yeah. In, in in particular, I was really fascinated by how like her choices um, post-enslavement to, you know, reunite herself with her children and to sort of like learn their stories and what they've been up to and, you know, um, get them back together again, at least for a moment, you know, uh, and she's on this journey. And that really, like, it fascinated me that that is so directly related to, like, the mechanism of slavery, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. because, like, Mm -hmm. slavery broke up families in order to, you know, survive. Like, that was one of the ways that slavery functioned and how, like, then seeking out your family becomes this, like, really powerful act so that even if she isn't completely free and she's constrained by all these forces, you know, she's able to um, claim, you know, agency in her story. Um, So could you talk a little bit about Rachel, um, you know, what motivates her and like um, uh, where she came from? Because uh, Mm -hmm. she is in some historical sources, I believe, right? Or Yes, she is indeed. So um, this exhibition that I mentioned earlier, I was lucky enough to meet uh, one of the co-founders of the organization that put it on a few years later and mentioned how you know, three, four years on, I was still thinking about these women. And he said, oh, well, I can lend you a copy of the the book that this comes from. And it's a transcription of an oral history of a man called Samuel Smith, who uh, was born in Antigua in the 1870s, but lived to be 103. So he was able to kind of pass his story on to his uh, grandchildren in um, the 20th century. And in that he remembers, I think it's his great, great grandmother is a woman called Mother Rachel. And in Antigua, she was in the south of the island on a plantation and she walked up to the north to find her daughter, Minty, and they were actually able to reunite. So that was one of the examples of where the, the exhibition had got this, this idea from that women went and tried to reunite their, their families. So Rachel is is named in, in Mother Rachel's honour. Um, but Rachel also comes from somewhere a bit closer to home because I am, you know, I am in my 20s. I do not have children. I am mixed race and I'm lucky to have lots of very inspiring black women in my life. So my mother, my aunt, my step grandmother, and I never met my grandmother, but I've heard so many amazing stories about her. And those were those are the women that I was drawing on when I was thinking about Rachel and in particular one of the qualities in them that's always interested me is the way that particularly in public with people that they don't know they can be very quiet and quite cautious and watchful and Rachel is quite a cautious character and that to me is a a survival mechanism it's the way that they've adapted to the sometimes very deeply traumatic things that they have been through because of um, racism but at the same time they are incredibly loving incredibly generous and incredibly kind and hopeful and optimistic and i wanted to capture that dynamic of what are the ways in which you have to change yourself and make yourself different to survive the things that you've been through but how are you able to maintain elements of yourself how are you able to as you say do this incredibly brave thing of holding on to the idea that you might be able to reunite with your children even after everything you've been through so um yeah I was uh drawing on my own family as well as uh, the historical records when I was creating Rachel mm, that's so fascinating and you know yeah I think that might be why she resonates so much because she does have this like firm historical basis but also there's like an emotional truth too you know that like informs her um can we talk about that a little bit too in regards to her children and the things that they end up doing and sort of, you know, how they are able to find their own kinds of freedom um, because it's different for all of them. And I was particularly interested in um, 
maroon communities because I had a professor yes. who studied them as well. And so could you talk oh, a little bit about like, you know, what came uh, what came after, you know, for the people who had been born into these systems of slavery, but then had to make their own way with like both a new freedom, but also still within obviously like intense constraints, you know? Yes, yes, absolutely. So um, I I'll speak in general terms without giving too much away about exactly which of Rachel's children fit where, but a few of the the, the forms of freedom that I was interested in exploring in the novel were First of all, as you mentioned, maroon communities. So that's uh, runaways uh, who in uh, places in the Caribbean that were more um, had remote areas. So the novel starts in Barbados, which was um, small, very densely settled, quite flat landscape. So it was quite hard to find anywhere that wasn't kind of planted already to hide away but you had other islands like Jamaica or in the novel Rachel visits um, British Guiana what's now Guyana and there you had these vast swathes of rainforest that had not yet been properly colonized and so there were these spaces on the edges of um, the colonies where you could um, run away and make it there and then form a kind of life for yourself and in Guyana as well um, often that involved into uh, intermingling with uh, surviving indigenous communities so I knew that I wanted to have uh, those communities in the novel it's obviously a form of freedom that can be quite uh, individualistic in the sense that it often was about just getting yourself out and sometimes you would have to leave even very close friends and family behind because if you got one chance you would have to take it so it's a very it's a choice that didn't come without its costs and um i'm fascinated by in particular in in jamaica there were runaway communities that um received a kind of recognition from the british because they were so unable to um, be dispelled from the mountains where they were living, that the British said, okay, well, we're going to sign a treaty with you to recognize your autonomy and we'll stop trying to capture you. But in exchange, many of those communities turned around and started running patrols to pick up runaway slaves and return them to their plantations. So yes, these, these maroon communities all over the Caribbean, they had to make some very difficult choices in order to safeguard their own freedoms. Um, so that was one kind of idea of freedom in the novel. Another is... Um, rebellion and uprising so armed insurrection against slavery which is an incredibly bold choice and um often unsuccessful but uh i guess that's a form of almost more collective attempt to win freedom because you're saying i don't think i will be free unless this whole system is brought down so i'm going to actually take up arms against it and then finally, uh, and in some ways for me, one of the most difficult forms of freedom to explore is um, because of the way I look, I've always been interested in the idea of passing. And um, although Rachel uh, doesn't have a child who is um, can pass for white, she does have a child who is mixed race and so has the possibility of being able to pass herself off as someone who wasn't ever enslaved. And it's very difficult as someone who, you know, I thought a lot about my own identity and heritage and I've made this very conscious choice to identify very strongly with my Caribbean roots but I it, we know for a fact that there were many people for whom freedom meant denying your roots denying your heritage cutting off ties with your family and using that to access more privileged spaces and so it's a really difficult decision to make it's kind of the antithesis of, of Rachel's own journey to try and reassemble her family but I knew that I had to have that in there in the novel somehow because it wouldn't really speak to the full spectrum of ways that people were making freedom if I didn't address it as unpalatable as it may seem to many of us. 
Yeah, I, I really appreciate that perspective, too, because, you know, not all responses are equally, as you say, you know, appealing <laughs> to people who get to read from like, you know, the privilege of not having lived through this and just looking at it from a later date. Um, but it also occurs to me, like, as you were speaking, that a, a lot of here, too, like what shapes people's choices um, in terms of how they seek freedom is also a lot of like very inflected by trauma response, you know, because um, I've often thought about how like one response to trauma is to like isolate yourself and protect yourself from it ever happening again and just look out mm -hmm. for you. But then there's also the response of like, well, no, like I'm going to make sure this doesn't happen to anybody else either, you know, while I protect myself. And, you know, I feel like having that sort of, um, empathetic view on all of the choices that were available and what might have shaped those uh choices was was very um I'm trying to, like just very nuanced and very interesting mm. yeah I think that's such a good point and um yeah the 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 research that I was doing for my master's was in lots of ways about trauma and how we respond to trauma and in particular another big theme of the novel I think is the the things that we can and we cannot say. So um, again, a very deliberate choice for the novel to be about what comes after slavery, but slavery clearly casts a very long shadow on all of the characters and all of their choices, as you say, and often they can't speak that out loud and they have to rely on just sort of, yeah, these moments of silence where you have to fill in the gaps and um, that, yeah, itself speaks to trauma, absolutely. I... I'm so happy that you came to talk to the show and I'm really, really glad that you've written this book. Uh, I, thank you so much for, you know, giving it to the world. And I think that we're all going to be really excited to see what you do next. So I was wondering, um, do you have plans for further novels to either revisit these characters or, you know, um, show us some new ones or do you have plans <laughs> for further writing? I do, I do. And I think I have not yet fully mined the theme of what it means to be free and this ambiguous time around the end of slavery. So I'm actually working on a new novel that's going to be set in Nova Scotia. And it's all about the communities of formerly enslaved people, both from Jamaica and from the United States that ended up in the the barren, cold Nova Scotia landscape trying to make a life for themselves and a new home for themselves. So yeah, that's what I'm doing at the moment. Oh, wow. I'm very excited to see like a totally different sort of uh, landscape and how yes. to, I hope that you'll consider coming back to talk to us again. All right, listeners. So I highly suggest that you pick up River Sing Me Home. It is an absolutely beautiful moving and really thought-provoking book that will stay with you. Um, so please, yes, visit your favorite independent bookstore or library and pick up a copy. Uh, thank you so much for listening. This has been Turn the Page, and it is time to close this chapter. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode.